0: Thank you, worship team. Great to worship the Lord together this morning. And It's great for me to be with you here this last long weekend of the summer. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Everything's about to start up again and we get going, but I'm glad you're here with us. Could see so many of you here in the building, all of you online and across the street at 301. Thank you for joining us. It is a pleasure and a privilege for me to open God's Word with you today. Well, many of you know, of course, many of you know me, and you know that I grew up in Kenya. My parents were missionaries there and, well, I experienced a lot of really neat things that maybe a lot of you didn't experience growing up in Canada. There are some things that I never experienced until I was a teenager and we moved back to Canada. Things that we just didn't have in, in Kenya. For example, in Kenya, the roads are, how do we describe Well, at least they were when I was there. The roads were interesting. Some of them were good, some of them were even paved. Many of them were terrible. In fact, the old joke was, what side of the road do they drive on in Kenya? The good side. Because sometimes the potholes just littered the road. But for the most part, they were okay. You could get where you were going. And the interesting thing was, often, especially if you got out of out of town and up up in the north, Um, when you got to a river, there was no bridge. Um, Now, sometimes the rivers were dry and it was okay, you just drove down and you drove across, but sometimes there was water and you drove down into the river and you drove across the river and hopefully it wasn't too high. So that was an interesting experience for me. Maybe you never experienced that, but when I came home to Canada, I experienced it, something I never experienced before. When I came to a body of water at the Detroit-Windsor crossing, we didn't take the bridge, we took the tunnel. There was a tunnel that actually went down under the water. I would never seen this before and I was a teenager but I was a little freaked out. I gotta tell you, now my dad I think was driving and I was like 14, 15 years old and I wasn't too scared because all the other cars were driving down there, too. I guess it was okay, um, but it seemed a little weird that we drove down and then it kind of flattened out, and you could tell, okay, we're in this flat spot. I guess we're right we're underneath the, like the waters, right up there somewhere, and I was, I was maybe a little nervous. I mean, there was lights, and it wasn't dark or anything, but we're in a tunnel in our car. And then something interesting happened. As we got near the end, how many of you have been in the tunnel? Have you, yeah, see, this is normal for you guys. So, when we get to the end of the tunnel, and you know what happens, right? The road starts to slope back up again. And then off in the distance, you see daylight. And it's, and it's different than, than the lights, the, the, the unnatural lights that are down there to keep it light. Daylight looks different, doesn't it? You can tell the difference. You can see this daylight off in the distance. And I remember starting to relax as I saw that daylight. Now, I was still in the tunnel. I was still deep underground somewhere, but I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it gave me this kind of hope. In fact, it actually helped me to think, well, this, tunnel's, this tunnel's not so bad. I, I can handle this. I could maybe even do this again. I'm not claustrophobic or anything, but... The light at the end of the tunnel gave me hope and in fact we, we all know that's an expression we use now. Even if you've never been in a tunnel in your life and someone says, well, you know, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. We know what that means. We mean, it means that no matter what we're going through, no matter what our hard times are, no matter what struggle we're facing, what challenge we're facing. There's, there's supposed to be this light at the end of the tunnel, that there's better days ahead, there's something good coming. There's hope. I think we've all experienced that in some way, right? Maybe, now I think optimists and pessimists experience it differently, right? Optimists anticipate the light at the end of the tunnel before they even see it. They know it's coming, they're all excited, they're, they're barely in the tunnel, and they, they can already anticipate the light. Pessimists, you guys, say I'm an optimist, but you pessimists out there, you don't even believe there will ever be a light at the end of the tunnel. And when you do see the light, you think it might be a train coming the other way. But we experience that light at the end of the tunnel differently, don't we? Whether you're, whether you're involved in a big project at work, right? And it's taken months and months and months, and you just... Working, working, working. And then as you start to see the end in sight, you start to believe that maybe this will be over. Or maybe you're about to start school. Or maybe you started school this week already, you start next week. Christmas break seems a long ways away. The end of the school year seems like forever. But as you start to approach it, you will start to see that light at the end of the tunnel and start to anticipate vacation. Or maybe you've been planning a big event, maybe a wedding and it took years maybe to plan that big event and as you approach the big day, you're like, ah, it's almost here. And it almost gives you, as you anticipate the end, as you anticipate the culmination of whatever you're working on, it, it often even gives you a burst of energy to finish well, doesn't it? Sometimes it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we're in the midst of this whole COVID thing, and I've heard so many people say, will life ever return to normal? We don't know even what normal is anymore, do we? It's hard to see that light at the end of the tunnel. You know, as a as a church, we're grieving the loss of our dear sister, Laura. It's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel in that one. But there is light at the end of the tunnel, ultimately. And we find it in God's Word. We've been working through the books of First and Second Peter through the summer, and today is our last day. Well, not, ne- not entirely, but our last day of this series. And we're going to look at Second Peter chapter 3. Our series has been entitled, Hope for Hard Times. We've, throughout the series, been looking at different reasons and different things that Peter tells us about to give us hope even when, even when times are hard. And today Peter reminds us one more time about the light at the end of the tunnel. He was speaking specifically to the people of his day, but there is so much in here that is good application for us today. So if you have your Bibles or you have your Bible on your app with you, please turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read the entire chapter. Don't worry, it's only 18 verses. I'd encourage you to follow along with me as we read. I'm reading from the NIV version, but if you have a different version, that's okay. This is the Word of the Lord. It says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget That long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other Scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, this is your word. This is the word of God, your very words. And Lord, it is a privilege and a pleasure to dig into this today and to to look at what you wrote so long ago and what still applies to us today, Lord. So as we study your word, as as we listen to you, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, speak to each person within the sound of your word that we may come away from today Knowing you better, knowing your word better, and trusting you more fully. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So Peter, at the beginning of this chapter, reminds us, right, of he's reminding us and reminding his readers that everything he's telling them is stuff they already know, right? All of First and Second Peter has been a reminder of things they should already know to ensure that they're thinking correctly about the truth. Now, how do they already know this? Peter tells us. They've already heard from the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. And then, of course, they had heard from Jesus Christ himself while he was on this earth. And then it mentions the apostles who carried on the message of Jesus after spending time with him. He even mentions Paul by name, but Peter, of course, was an apostle as well. He mentions that Paul has already taught all these same things in his letters refers to Paul's writings as Scripture. By the way, if you ever need an argument for why we consider the New Testament Scripture, Peter thought the writings of Paul was Scripture. But the important thing to notice here is through the prophets, through Jesus, through the apostles, is the Word of God. God's message to us has always been consistent. It's the same. And Peter is giving us some reminders here. In this final chapter, he leaves us with two main reminders. The first is a reminder of what is to come, to remind us of what is to come, and the second is he tells us how to respond. So the first thing Peter tells us here is that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Now, he says that judgment is coming despite what the scoffers say. Look at verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4, it says, You must understand, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their evil desires. They will say, where is this coming of the Lord? When they said this coming of the Lord, they were talking about, where is this judgment that you keep talking about, that the Lord's going to return and judge us? These scoffers are not Christians, they're not believers, they're from outside the church. If you flip over to Jude 17 and 19, you don't have to go turn there now, I'll read it for you. Uh, Jude only has one chapter, so verses 17, 18, and 19 tells us that scoffers, they follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. They're not believers. But like the false teachers we learned about the last couple of weeks, Pastor Calvin and Pastor Jim taught us well about these false teachers. But scoffers are slightly different. Scoffers, they just don't care. They laugh at us. You know the type of people that say to you at work, you don't really believe all that God stuff, do you? Like that's just fairy tales and make-believe. That's for weak people that need a crutch to lean on. Those are scoffers. They make fun of God. They... They might even like to argue and debate with you about things because they, they want to cause you to doubt their belief, your beliefs. But they scoff at Christianity for one main reason. They're motivated the same way false teachers are motivated. They're motivated by their own evil desires because they don't want Christianity to be true. See, if Jesus is really going to return and judge the world, then it matters how we live, doesn't it? And the scoffers, they want to live however they want. So they need to negate God, say there is no God, there is no Jesus. He's not going to return. So they can live however they want. That's their motivation. They would rather follow their own evil desires. So they make arguments. Peter points out one of their arguments here in verse 4. It says, They they say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. This argument that everything goes on as it always has has a fancy name. I had to practice it, and I dare you to say it five times fast. Uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism is the idea that nature acts uniformly. Right? It follows the laws of nature, the laws of physics, the laws of science. It's always been this way. It will always be that way. Nothing will change. God does not intervene in humanity. That's uniformitarianism. That's what these people were saying. Everything's always been this way. It will always be that way. Nothing's going to change. God doesn't care if there is a God. Peter points out, though, in verse 5 and 6, that their premise they're basing their argument on this premise that everything goes on as it always has, is a faulty premise. You know what a faulty premise is, right? I, I, st- I took a course in university uh, for fun, I think, because we had to take non-music courses when I was a music major. They wanted us to be well-rounded. So I took this course. It was all about debating and, and analyzing arguments. And one of the first things they taught us is always look at the premise of an argument. Because if you can find fault with the premise, the whole argument is useless, right? It's destroyed. It's based on a faulty premise. And that's what Peter does here. He po- points out that their, their premise, that everything goes on as it always has, is a faulty premise. He says in verse 5, they deliberately forget. They ignore two unnatural things that went against the laws of nature, two unnatural events Now there was other unnatural events he could have pointed to. Think about it. Jesus parted the sea twice for the Israelites to walk across. That's not natural. Jesus raised people from the dead, healed the blind and the sick. The apostles did the same. But Peter focused on two main events, creation and the flood. Two times when God intervened in a dramatic way in humanity, right? God by his very word created the heavens and the earth and the animals and everything in it. It didn't happen by some sort of natural occurrence. And the flood, the worldwide flood of Noah, it actually happened. And it happened by the word of God. It didn't, it wasn't some natural thing Creation happened, the flood happened, things have not always just gone on as they have and followed the laws of nature. God has intervened in the past. As John Piper puts it, he says, the laws of nature are not laws unto themselves, they are still under the sovereignty of God. We need to remember that. It's very important, especially in this day and age. Right? The world would have us believe that evolution is the way the world came about. The world would have us believe the flood never happened. The world would have us believe that the laws of physics, the laws of nature, the laws of science, that's all there is. But God is above all of that. And here's why this is important, because just as God has intervened in the past, Verse seven tells us that God will intervene in the future. It says the same word, the word of God that created the world and flooded the world will bring about a day of judgment and destruction, but not by water this time, but by fire. Judgment is coming despite what the scoffers might say. But there's another point here in their their scoffing, when they say, where is this coming? What they're really saying is, it's been a long time, Peter. You you really think he's coming back? Now, if they were saying that then, imagine now, 2000 years later, it's been a long time. Are you sure Christ is gonna return? the day of judgment will come despite the apparent delay. Because there's only an apparent delay. Verse eight reminds us, do not forget, do not forget, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Where does Peter get that from? Well, he gets it from Psalm 90 verse four. Psalm 90 verse four says, for a thousand years in your sight, in God's sight, are like a day that has just gone by, or like a match in the night. Now, it's not a literal statement. This is not a formula that we get to say, okay, so every thousand years of history is like a day to God, so I can do the math and figure out when Christ is gonna return. No, it's not a formula, this is an expression. This is an expression to help us understand that time is viewed differently by God than the way we view time, because God is infinite. God views time in a different way than we do. Let me help you understand this a little bit. Because I think we were created in the image of God, right? Humans, mankind, we were created in the image of God. And I think God gave us a little bit of an ability to see time not as constant. Let me explain. When you were little, when you were young, remember time? Everything took forever right? Five minutes was like an eternity when you were little. Five minutes was always five minutes, but it looked, it seemed to take forever. Now as we get older, as we get older, time just seems to fly by. It's still the same time. A minute is still a minute, an hour is still an hour, a day is still a day, a year is still a year, but we see it differently. We we go from saying things like you know, this is taking forever and are we there yet? To, it seems like just yesterday. seems like just yesterday that I brought you home from the hospital, we say about our 20 something year old son. It seems like just yesterday, and, and my how time flies, look how much you've grown. We see time differently, don't we? As our perspective changes, and I think that gives us a little glimpse into how God sees time. God sees time in His infiniteness even more differently than we do. So for God, a thousand years is nothing. Or maybe a day is like a thousand years. God doesn't see time the same way we do. And Peter goes on to say, not only does he see time differently, he says God is not slow He's not late in keeping his promises, as some would understand slowness. In fact, there's a very important reason why God has not returned yet, why Jesus has not returned. It's because he is incredibly patient with us. Amen? I'm glad he's patient with me. I'm glad that God does not want anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance, it says. God is giving us time, giving us time to repent, giving those who do not know him as Savior and Lord time to repent. He is a patient God. It's actually somewhat ironic that the scoffers, the very people that God is waiting for and being patient with, are using his delay in coming as an argument against his coming when he's waiting for them. He's waiting for them to repent. But the day of the Lord will come. Verse 10. See, although God is patient, he is not indifferent. Although he is merciful, he is not impotent, he is not lacking in power. The day of the Lord will come. Jesus will come again, and so will the judgment he promised. Verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Count up the wills in that verse. There's not a single might or maybe. Now that verse tells us it will be unexpected. It could happen right now. Well, it didn't. but. It could happen in an hour, it could happen in a day, it could happen in another thousand years, we don't know. And that's not just Peter's idea. Matthew 24, Jesus himself said that the day of the Lord would come like a thief. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 that the day of the Lord would come like a thief in the night. And when he comes, it says that everything we know will be destroyed by fire. The world as we know it. The heavens, the earth, the elements, everything we know will be gone. Well, that's not true. Well, I don't know whether it's true or not. It will be burned up. Whether the earth will remain and God will regenerate the earth or, or whether he'll totally get rid of it all and start from scratch, I don't know. But everything that we know in the earth will be burnt up. And then notice the last, verse, the last sentence there says, and everything in it will be laid bare. Your version might say everything done in it will be laid bare. That's the idea that all of our accomplishments, all of our works, all of our, our houses and our cars and our, our monuments and everything we've done will be exposed for what it is. God will judge and everything will be seen and revealed for what it truly is. Now, as we think about these things, we think about the day of the Lord and the the end of the world as we know it. It's easy to get distracted by one thing. And I I get distracted by this all the time. In fact, I got distracted by this as I was preparing for this message. Sometimes we get caught up in the, how is it going to happen, God? And we study Thessalonians, we study Revelation, and we we start digging and trying to figure out you know, when's the Lord gonna return and how is it gonna happen and is it gonna be, is there gonna be a rapture, is there not gonna be a rapture, is it pre-trib and mid, mid-trib or are you a or a mill or uh, pre mill we can get caught up in all those arguments and I love those arguments by the way, or I call them discussions, my wife calls them arguments. I love to talk about those things, I love to dig into God's word and see what he says, but Peter, Peter cuts through all of that. You notice he doesn't tell us a thing about what it's going to look like other than two things. It will happen. The Lord will return. He will bring judgment and the earth will be destroyed. That's what we need to keep our eyes fixed on. I learned that this week as I was preparing. As I started to get sidetracked about all the details and what should I share about you about my views of eschatology and I realized it's not important. I mean, it's God's Word, and we want to know it. We want to try and understand it. That's important. But the important thing is that the day of the Lord will come. It's coming. Despite what the scoffers say, despite the apparent delay, despite your views about what's going to have to happen when He he comes, it will come. Some of us will be surprised, and some of us will go, oh, that's what I was expecting. We'll see. That's the first half of this chapter, a reminder that judgment is coming. The day of the Lord will come. The second half, Peter deals with application. It was great, he pretty much wrote my sermon for me. Because Peter asked the question of, so what? If the day of the Lord is coming, if judgment is coming, what do we need to do? How do we respond? And he gives us six things, but I can sum them up in two. Don't worry, I'll give you the six as well. we got lots of time. Two things. Repent and obey. If judgment is coming, you need to repent and you need to obey. Remember, we, talked about, we read about this in verse 9, but we also see it in verse 15. God is being patient with us So if you don't know Jesus today, if you have not been saved by the blood of Jesus, if he is not your savior and your Lord, you need to repent. God is being patient with you. He does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then verse 15 says, our Lord's patience means salvation. So please, if you don't know the Lord today, If you've been waiting, don't wait any longer. Repent today. And then obey, obedience. Five things Peter gives us about obedience. First of all, he says, live holy and godly lives. Verse 11, live holy and godly lives. And verse 14, make every effort to be spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. He's basically saying, you cannot, while knowing what you now know, knowing what you now know about the coming of the Lord and the judgment to come, you cannot continue to live the way you're living. You need to change your behavior. You need to live holy and godly lives. You need to be spotless and blameless and at peace with God. Stop fighting with God about things. We'll be digging deeper into this in the weeks to come as Pastor Rick takes us into our fall series. If you want a preview, just go back to 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 8. Don't do it now when you go home. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8. That's what we're going to be studying about how we should live. What are the marks of a Christian? What does a Christian look like? So Peter tells us to live holy and godly lives. And then he says... In verse 12 and 13, look forward to the day of God. Look forward to the day of God. Now, the day of God is slightly different than the day of the Lord, although they're all kind of intermingled. The day of God is that eternal state that will exist after Jesus returns, after the world is destroyed, after every enemy is destroyed. Satan is cast into the lake of fire forever. And then believers live forever in the presence of God in the new heaven and the new earth for eternity. That's the day of God. And we are to look forward to that. It says it will be the home of righteousness. Can you imagine a world where there is nothing but righteousness? That will be a glorious day. And he says we should anticipate it. Where do I get that from? It, it, he says we should speed its coming. Now, don't, don't misunderstand here. We cannot change when, when God will return, when Jesus will return, when the day of God will be. That time is fixed. God has already said it. He knows it. Nobody else. So why does it say we should speed its coming in verse 12? It's an expression again that that means we should anticipate it with joy. We should look forward to it because we have been declared righteous. We can look forward to the day of God. We can even look forward to the day of judgment with anticipation and ask for it to come quickly. We sang earlier, right? Even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We can anticipate the day of God with joy and anticipation and and just want it to come right away, come Lord Jesus, because we're not afraid of what what is coming. But also, the other part of speeding its coming is we know that once everyone whom God will save has repented, then God no longer needs to be patient with us. You understand that? Once there's no more need for God's patience because all who have repented, who will repent, will repent. Once that's done, God can return. He doesn't need to be patient anymore. So we can speed His coming by sharing the gospel. Share the gospel with those who don't know him. God is giving us more time, shouldn't we use it to tell others about him? God is being patient, God is is waiting patiently for all to come to repentance. We need to get out there and tell the world about Jesus. We need to share the gospel with unbelievers. Two more things before Peter wraps up here, and that is we need to be on our guard. You need to be on your guard because there are those who distort the Scriptures. There are those that look at Paul's readings and, and say, ah, I don't think that's what he really meant. There are false teachers. There are scoffers. And he says in verse 17, therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, you know there will be false teachers, you know there will be scoffers, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Remember all that you have been taught. Remember the words of Peter. Remember the words of Paul, the other apostles. Remember the words of Christ. Remember the words of the prophets so that you will not be deceived by false teachers and scoffers. It says here too, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. What does that mean? Well, it's not a reference to your salvation. We know that once God has saved you, you are saved. You cannot be unsaved. But it's a reference more to your process of sanctification. See, our process of sanctification begins when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. As When God saves us, the process of sanctification begins. And in theory, it's this upward trend. As we get to know Jesus more, as we become more like Jesus, we become more and more holy. We become more and more sanctified. But the problem is, is every once in a while, we've, we stumble. And we, we maybe go back a little bit. We maybe doubt what we've been taught, or we, we question. We don't lose our salvation, but our sanctification is, is, is hindered. Peter knew what he was talking about here, right? I mean, Peter at this point is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. But we all know where Peter came from, right? Remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed and led away to the cross? Just before that happened, Peter had said, even if everyone else deserts you, Lord, I will not. I will die with you. And what did he do? He denied even knowing Christ. He stumbled. He lost his secure position. He didn't lose his salvation. Peter was still a follower of Christ. He just, he faltered. He doubted, he doubted what he believed. And we need to be careful. See, the enemy wants to get in there. He wants to, he wants to erode your faith. He wants you to doubt your security in Christ. He wants to create doubt and mistrust. So be on your guard, dear friends, so that you will not lose your footing and doubt your security in Christ. And then finally in verse 18, there's a very familiar phrase. We see it often in Scripture. Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We read that so many times, I've read it so many times, sometimes we just kind of gloss over it, like it's some sort of closing remark. But this is very important. This is talking about grace and knowledge. Now think about it. Grace and knowledge are two very different things. I found a very good chart by Charles Swindoll, so this isn't mine but you're getting it through from him. He talks about how important it is to balance grace on the one hand with knowledge. You see, grace grace keeps you tolerant and loving, right? Grace allows us to be tolerant and loving. But knowledge keeps you strong and confident. And you have to have both. If we're just, oh, we love everybody, we tolerate everything, that's not enough. We also have to have the knowledge of the truth so we can be strong and confident in our beliefs, but we can't be so strong and confident that we're not tolerant and loving. We need both in our lives. Grace gives you mercy and compassion, whereas knowledge gives you discernment, and discrimination and and wisdom. And we need both, right? We need to discern right from wrong, but we also need to be merciful and compassionate. Grace helps you believe and accept, whereas knowledge helps you question and critique. Right? we got to get that one right, especially when we're dealing with false teachers. We need to test what people say and make sure it's according to the Word of God. That's, that is questioning and critiquing. That's knowledge but we also need to know when to believe and accept what we've heard because it's the Word of God, because it's in line with the Word of God. Grace and knowledge. And then finally, grace results in vulnerability. Grace makes you vulnerable. And knowledge results in stability. It makes you stable and strong and sure-footed. We need both in our lives. So when you read that, that statement, grow in the grace and knowledge, don't just pass over it. Remember, we need to learn grace, but we also need to learn knowledge. And I don't know where you are today. My guess is every one of you is either stronger at one than the other. It's just the way you're wired. Some of us are big knowledge people, and we just say, oh, I, I know I've got to know everything. And some of us are just grace people. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna be gracious. We need both in balance in our lives. But notice, and this is important, this isn't just any grace and knowledge. This is not general grace and knowledge as the world would see. it. This doesn't mean go to school for knowledge and get a whole bunch of doctorates, and now you've got knowledge. Or spend a lot of time doing social work, spend time with the needy, and you'll become very gracious and humble, no although those are good things, do those. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not our own grace and knowledge, not the world's grace and knowledge, the grace and knowledge of Jesus. We need to grow in the grace of Jesus. We need to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Essentially, he's saying, you need to be more like Jesus. I mean, think about it. Go back and read the Gospels. Jesus was gracious and loving and tolerant. He ate with sinners, but Jesus was also the epitome of knowledge and conviction, and He knew right from wrong. And Jesus balanced grace and knowledge perfectly, and that's what we need to grow. That's what we need to grow in. We need to grow to be more like Jesus. So Peter tells us, repent and obey. Because judgment is coming, repent and obey. Live holy and spotless lives. Be at peace with God. Look forward to the day of God. Anticipate it with joy and anticipation. Share the gospel with unbelievers. Be on your guard against false teachers and scoffers. And then grow to be more like Jesus. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, please. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is is just as relevant today as it was when you wrote it. And Lord, I pray today as we look forward to that light at the end of the tunnel, the coming of the Lord, that the the day of God when we as believers will live forever in the presence of God, in a new heaven and a new earth, where there is only righteousness. Lord, help us to look forward to that day. But Lord, help us to live today in light of what is coming. Lord, do a work in us, change us, make us more like you, Lord God. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would accomplish everything you need to accomplish in us. Break us where we need to be broken, Lord, convict us of our sin, remind us of your word, and grow us, Lord, to be more like Jesus. I pray in your precious holy name, Lord God, Amen. Well, it's been a good series. I just want to leave you with this before you go. Peter lived in hard times. He lives in in times of persecution that we may never understand. But we continue to live in hard times now. Different challenges maybe, but we live in hard times. We need to remember there is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And here's the great thing. It's not just any light. It's the light of the world, Jesus Christ. That is the light at the end of the tunnel for us. Jesus is coming again. So let's act accordingly. Let's stop living like He's never going to return. Let's stop living like we don't believe there'll be judgment. Let's live like we really believe the day of the Lord will come. There will be judgment and there will be a glorious new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Jesus is coming again. Let us live accordingly. Repent and obey. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you can join us again next week. Remember, we go to two services next week, 9 and 11. Love to see you there, either in person or online. Have a great day.